Hello, and welcome to the next episode of SimTalk. And today we are lucky enough to have with us the CEO of AnyLogic, Andre Borshev, with us. Uh, how are you doing today, sir? Uh, hi, Jacob. Uh, I'm pretty good. Um, how are you? Oh, it's uh, about 5.30 in the morning here in the United yeah. States, so I'm pretty yeah. tired. But I'm here and I'm looking to have a good podcast. So uh, why don't you uh, give us a little bit about yourself, who you are, you know, where'd you go to school? What have you done? You know, why'd you get into, you know, simulation software, kind of all that kind of good stuff. Of course. So, uh, uh, my, uh, I would say that my life and, uh, very much my professional career is, uh, connected to my home city, which is St. Petersburg, Russia. And I think it's worth, um, just giving a couple of facts about this place. Uh, first, it's a 100% European city and maybe the only European city in Russia. Then it's located very much up north and it's kind of full of uh, kind of dark northern Baroque architecture. Then what's probably more important, uh, it's, it has nastiest weather in the world. Uh, the, uh, probably the, um, in terms of weather, the similar place in the US would be Chicago, but Chicago is much better. <laughs> so uh, virtually half the year, it's, uh, it's kind of wet snow and it's dark because it's north and you don't really want it to be outside. So it's kind of ideal place to kind of make yourself a cup of coffee, sit down and code, and therefore, St. Petersburg has always was full of like geeks and software developers and it's kind of IT capital of, of Russia. So I went to school here in St. Petersburg, was Technical University of St. Petersburg. And um, so what I was doing there, I, I, was, uh, I was studying kind of applied, applied maths and uh, computer science. And since my student years, I was doing modeling, but a very specific type of modeling. So I was uh, involved with uh, mathematical models of concurrent computer systems, and specifically with uh, formal proof of their correctness with verification of concurrent and parallel systems. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm coming from this side. So like in like mid nineties, I went to the uh, to England to Hewlett Packard Labs in in, in the UK. Mm -hmm. And by that time, HP was pretty technologically advanced company. So there, in uh, while working for Hewlett Packard, I very much switched from verification, from formal proofs, from mathematical modeling to simulation modeling, because I actually realized that the um, uh, kind of formal proof has very limited application area, mm -hmm. and it's much smaller than um, like the general simulation modeling. So um, the rest is pretty short story. I returned back to Russia just because I was feeling pretty um, kind of homesick there in England, and uh, started uh, developing um, my own software with a team of colleagues from from the university, and we started coding AnyLogic at around uh, uh, 1998. And in the year 2000, we first came to Winter Simulation Conference and, and showed it. So that's kind of uh, the background. Mm -hmm. So and when you when you were first developing the sort of the engine of any logic what were what were some of the challenges you faced and maybe some stuff that came up you didn't expect to, to deal with when you're coding it up uh i think that it what's um it might make sense to um to talk about the the area we're coming from and before we talk about that I think it's, it'll be interesting to, to everybody in, in, our, uh, in our industry to, uh, to uh, remember maybe what the uh, uh, simulate, uh, dynamic simulation landscape of the early 2000 looked like. Mm -hmm. And then we will, yeah, we will switch back to any logic in the engine. So um, in the year 2000, uh, I, I'm just thinking of a 
polite word. I think the polite words is that the uh, dynamic simulation community is very inertious in terms of uh, methodology and languages. So in early 2000, they were like basically two uh, pretty much disconnected community. It was discrete event community, right. um, the winter simulation conference, which we all know. And then uh, there was another community, which uh, not everybody listening who is listening to your podcast uh, would know is the system dynamics. It's, it's another uh, methodology, also a dynamic simulation, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, suggesting a completely different paradigm, which is uh, feedback loops, stocks and flows, and highly abstract models. So there were these two communities, uh, very disconnected. And um, the first one, the, the winner sim was suggesting, okay, let's model everything as a process, right? A sequence of operations, the paradigm which existed from like 60s or probably late 60s, right? Mm. And uh, the system dynamics, okay, let's model everything in terms of stocks and flows and, and feedback groups. And that's also an old, even older paradigm at roots to like Jay Forrester, right? And uh, the landscape was pretty boring. As one of my um, colleagues said about one of those conferences, I don't, I don't want him, <laughs> uh, to tell his name or which conference was that. But the, the, the exact phrase that I remember was, uh, the only news announced at the conference is when somebody dies. So that, <laughs> that was uh, pretty much um, what, what was happening. And um, so we uh, actually went there to change the landscape, uh, which we finally did although it took us 12 years, but, but anyway. So, uh, we came from the, um, let's say, object-oriented modeling, computer science modeling, which mm -hmm. is completely different. I can say that in the last uh, two decades of uh, 20th century, computer science, especially with the emergence of object-orientedness, uh, made great step forwards in terms of how you can model real-life systems and objects, right? Mm -hmm. And the methodology was, okay, uh, as, as, as simple as you have an object in the real world, like, uh, I don't know, a station, a crane, a consumer, a transaction, uh, a truck, and then you have exactly same object, a virtual object in the, mm -hmm. uh, in the computer program, so, uh, which will be the model of that uh, real-world object. So conceptually, it's very easy. Look around, identify your objects, and then create same kind of objects in your, in your uh, computer model. Right. Although, of course, abstraction is still, still involved there, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, then uh, there were... Um, I would mention, um, because object-oriented modeling is typically a static modeling, right? Or at least most people think of that as like a static model, static structure. There's no like time, time is not big there, right? Mm. But there were languages, uh, especially I would mention UMLRT and uh, visual um, concepts like state charts, mm. which are really, really great to express dynamic time-related behavior. So we, when we were uh, coding any logic and designing any logic simulation engine, we were coming from, from that side. We have objects in our computer model, mm -hmm. and we need to be able to describe behavior, time-related behavior of those objects. So naturally, our, our first language was the language of, okay, objects and their structure and state charts for uh, dynamic behavior. So just to, to finish this kind of big paragraph, when we first showed any logic in the year 2000, it was purely uh, what we would now describe as agent-based modeling software. No other things there, right? Nothing. Just uh, objects, 
uh, state charts. Uh, you, you were able to connect the objects. You were able to specify individual behaviors of the objects, press run, and the object would communicate, and some global behavior would emerge as a result of their interaction. So this is what we came with to Winnersim. Was the was that originally coded in Java, or do you uh, did you make a switch to Java? From the beginning, it was uh, well, we we did have a uh, C UI in the beginning, but then we switched to Java. But the the simulation engine from the very beginning was Java. Yes. Okay. Uh, correct. Yes. Okay. So, like, like I asked, uh, you know, were there any like unexpected things that you ran into like oh i didn't expect this to be an issue <laughs> like when you first started coding or even now when you're creating the engine as it is uh you know what kind of stuff do you run into that you don't expect you know, from the code level of the engine uh i i, I can't say there were some any any unexpected things really there were some challenges uh mm -hmm. One other thing which we wanted to be in AnyLogic from the very beginning is uh, uh, hybrid dynamics. By hybrid, I, I mean discrete and continuous. So we wanted our objects to have discrete events um, as well as continuously changing variables. So mm -hmm. even, even in the first version of the engine, those two were tightly integrated and we did have numerical methods. And uh, so the challenge was how do you actually connect how to link uh, numerical methods and continuous world with discrete events? And you know that discrete events can, can change uh, mm -hmm. the continuous dynamic, etc. But so yeah, but I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't consider that as uh, kind of you know pretty big. You can well when you understand what you want really, you, you can code it. It's that's not a big problem now. So. Uh you know that so that was 2000 ish when you rolled out the you know yeah. version one now it's now 2018 what do you kind of think of the current state of the industry um how things have changed i mean I've, you know in 2000 i would say probably you know systems modeling arena was still probably yeah, king. Yeah. now I you've got flexes arena obviously dominated the market right. Uh, absolutely. So now uh, you've got like Simio and FlexSim and a bunch of really niche products. You know, so how do you, how have you seen the transition? What do you think of the current state of the industry? Right. So yeah, uh, what I would say one one of the things we did with AnyLogic, we changed the landscape completely in terms of where first in terms of where simulation is applied, what range of industry and then how it is applied. So we both expanded the traditional market for, for simulation. We added new industries, we added new problems that are now our, uh, people are able to solve with, with dynamic simulation. And at the same time, we uh, changed the, the paradigm. Uh, so, what we did, and I would, in every, every interview, I, uh, I want to say, uh, to give some credits, to say thank you to our early adopters. I will mention a couple of them. Uh, so those guys who immediately spotted AnyLogic right in year 2000 and then worked with us were like Lyle Wallace and Mark Page, which are now with PwC US. And, uh, a bit later, um, Chris Johnson from um, General Electric um, Research Center. So we pretty much worked with these guys, and we uh, Analogic was, uh, let's say, philosophically formed completely by year 2000. And then it was just gradual work and improvement, etc. So uh, to your to your question. Uh, in early 2000s, um, dynamic simulation was pretty much thought of like in terms of where it is applied. It was manufacturing, material handling, various service systems, uh, business processes, and uh, it's, well, it's uh, on the discrete event side. On the system dynamic side, there was 
highly abstract, let's say, kind of management models uh, with like time horizons, like years and if not decades, right? Mm-hmm. So what we did, uh, we expanded that pretty much due to adding agent-based uh, to the uh, to this, let's say, paradigm kit or modeler, we expanded that radically to uh, supply chains and transportation. And although, of course, people were doing supply chain models earlier, but it turns out that the discriminant process paradigm just doesn't work well for, for supply chains because there, naturally, you have like your uh, warehouses, your distribution centers, your um, suppliers and your consumers and they're all individual objects that have their own policies like inventory policy for mm-hmm. example right uh like consumers have like preferences loyalties like product switching behavior and it's so naturally maps to to um agent-based modeling whereas in every you know object inside every object you can use uh process logic if you want you can use process logic for, uh, for example, production side or warehouse or uh, for some business process. But the overall structure is definitely agent-based. So we, we expanded um, the usage of simulation modeling radically in that direction, so which is supply chain transportation. Also, the neighboring um, problems like fleet management, like if you have fleet of trucks or a fleet of airplanes or or maybe a fleet of, uh, I don't know, wind turbines out there, right? And they're all like individual objects. They have their like breakdowns, maintenance schedules, uh, replacement schedules, etc. So it's, it's a lot of models built in any logic which address um, those, um, those application, um, application fields. Now, other things that's, uh, um, that we added, it's consumer market modeling, where like literally like every consumer or like every household in the United States was, was modeled. Like um, uh, there are models of um, uh, United States automobile market where literally household is an agent mm. and household uh, has some, you know, a garage with some cars in there, and what's the probability of buying a new car, etc. So, um, then other other industries I would just briefly mention: you know, it's uh, human resources, finance, social, even politics. Then in healthcare, like traditionally, um, simulation in healthcare, that was what emergency departments, because right. emergency department map nicely. To, to process paradigm and everybody was doing and it's still a, you know all these traditional softwares are, are doing emergency departments uh, now we expanded that to like problems like regional healthcare like okay you have a, a people living in a certain area and they use local healthcare services and they have that like chronic diseases and what's going to happen in like some years right um, epidemiology, uh, various specific problems related to pharmaceutical uh, industry, like pharmaceutical supply chain is very much um, unique, can be very much unlike the traditional supply chains. Um, and other things like, uh, I would say, more down, down to like back to physical uh, modeling or close to physical level modeling, so rail yards, mining um, where uh, you're you know sm- modeling smaller scale systems but that m- might not uh, also well map to two processes uh, they need some some other paradigms being used and also uh, of course uh, because we have a pedestrian modeling in there we have like passenger terminals like uh, like airports uh, stations etc where you need high fidelity uh, pedestrian modeling. So um, this is how we actually expanded the usage of simulation, and this is what we're really, you know, happy about because mm-hmm. you know we we expanded it from like factory floor to much bigger scope of of business problems. So yeah, this is this is one thing that happened between um, like let's say two thousand early two thousands and, and and now.
And uh, also, uh, what we observe that now modelers are, you know, are using more more stuff, right? Right. Uh, yeah. If you like go to like the analogic cloud, or if you go to any mm, any uh, simulation modeling consulting company, you will be able to see that they are you know easily using like both processes and, and agents, and sometimes they use system dynamics if they want. So we introduce this multi paradigm modeling, and uh, we did a lot of work to kind of evangelize that and now it's now it's just there do you see uh you know increased adoption now that the majority of programming is object based i mean do you see people just be able to pick up the software easier now that now that you know all, i mean i was taught object based programming from the get, you know, where a lot of, you know, old, maybe older people haven't been. So is that something, is, has that helped adoption? Has that helped, you know, how people have used your software? Ah, it's a good, it's a great question. Thank you, Jacob. So I would say that the uh, general concept of object orientedness, like um, inheritance or uh, ability to um, kind of mm, change the implementation of a certain method in a subclass, it's no, people don't use it. I and mean, in general, people don't use it. It's, uh, and I think it's good because it's a pretty complicated concept for average modeler, unless you are, have a background in uh, like uh, object oriented uh, programming, which not everybody has to have. And uh, so we don't see uh, really usage of this type of, of object or orientedness. But if you uh, use the you use the term object based, right? Right. Uh, object oriented, object based. I don't know what, what you meant by it, but uh, to my mind, this is kind of lightweight uh, version of object orientedness, where people use only some stuff, like uh, let's say um, they uh, partition the problem into object that identify which objects are in there. So. And uh, naturally, then they uh, encapsulate behavior locally in the objects. Absolutely, this is what everybody does. This is what everybody does with uh, with analogic models. So, uh, uh, just again, we don't for we don't want want to force people to use like full object oriented programming. No, we don't want that. We want people to be. Uh, able to model complex systems, right? Uh, and we give a framework which is kind of object-based, but we definitely don't uh, don't want it to teach or to um, uh, like make people uh, kind of code in object-oriented way. No, not at all. No. Okay. Uh, so, as you know, as the software and adoption, um, how important is it that you get into universities and being the teaching tool? Um, mm -hmm. I know, you know, here in the U.S., you know, some people are still teaching arena here in the U.S. Some people are teaching all sorts of different stuff. So is that a big push for any logic or are you trying to, you know, how, how do you sort of do that marketing yeah. to get people hooked early? Right. So, um, you of course know that uh, professors are lazy, right? <laughs> professors, uh, what they need, they need a good textbook and uh, they want a kind of curriculum and unless you, you offer these things to them, they won't switch, right? So we have uh, a very big, I would say, uh, market share in American universities and probably even bigger in Europe where uh, we absolutely dominate the uh, university scene. Uh, it's a matter of, as, as I was saying, of writing good books, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's a matter of partnering with uh, professors so that they write good books, right? Right. And so it, it, it helps a lot. Uh, uh, students, when they are taught any logic, they just love us. They love us, they use us, uh, and they're, they're not switching to to anything else when they graduate, when they when they uh, go to work, so we have a lot of a lot of sales really 
uh, driven by by students who were having any any logic and um, uh, in school. Yeah. So do you see uh, because you you're definitely in Russia? Do you see uh, like is is there a difference between like U.S. coders and like European coders, like modelers? I shouldn't I should say modelers, not coders, but do you see that difference in how people interact with your software between like cultures and how they model, you know, even how they model? Uh, no, not really. But uh, actually, um, I want to compare it to Russia because the, the uh, uh, if you take like our geographical kind of users or sales structure, it's virtually half of that is North America, then there's Europe, uh, then there's Asia, and uh, then there's Russia is probably, I, I don't know, 3% of them, right? So mm -hmm. I, I pretty much know the global worldwide uh, uh, landscape. And I would, um, I would say that it's pretty, um, uh, I wouldn't say that there is any, any big difference. Uh, in some places of the world, people tend to code more than uh, to use visual constructs more. But, uh, but maybe it's, uh, it's uh, uh, yeah, it's but maybe slight cultural differences. Otherwise, no, no, not really. What I observe is that, uh, you know, like hardcore um, software developers are normally not uh, good modelers. So like people who studied something else like industrial engineering, um, uh, this sort of stuff, I mean management um, and analytics are much better modelers than those who, who have um, a background in, in, in software because they, they have a kind of mm, more correct, uh, higher level view on the problem uh, on uh, abstraction level, and then when it comes to you know um, doing some uh, you know coding, uh, then uh, they they can learn it. They can learn mm -hmm. it pretty easily. And here, I mean, if we're talking about code, I think um, I think it's it's worth kind of like saying a couple of words about what what's code. What's the what's the uh, um, the place of code in simulation model. The first thing I want to say that uh, those, those vendors who are trying to sell their products, telling customers that no coding is required are certainly liars. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I would make exception for system dynamics tools because there literally there is no coding required, but this is a very specific sector. If you do discrete events, uh, there are things that map nicely to, um, to graphics, and these are processes. These are um, individual objects, state, space, and behavior, like state charts. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, this is anything related to physical space, like where, where, where is what. And then uh, there's stock and flow diagrams. This like stock and flow diagrams, system dynamics paradigms. They basically visualize formulas. That's right. it, right? Uh, so if you uh, if you think of a decision making logic, I mean like like inventory policies, uh, complicated resource management, equipment management, equipment behavior, or things like consumer choice. Uh, or if you have like complex data coming into the model, which we now have a lot because of like uh, digital twins are out there, right? So there's a lot of data coming into the model. Then you, you need to have an adequate language to treat that data and to express that uh, decision-making logic. And that, you know, uh, nobody invented anything better than code because there, there are no pro visual languages to do it right so mm -hmm. so our kind of philosophy in, in any logic is that we understand that there's need uh, for programming capabilities in, in the simulation software uh, and uh, we don't want to hide them from the user 
uh, and instead we can offering them at a very um, easy to use level. So instead of saying we're all we're no coding required, um, we're all graphical, we uh, allow people to uh, you know write this little kind of snippets of code uh, anywhere in the model, and right. then uh, yeah. And then you don't need to learn like full objects, full Java or full object oriented to be able to build models. What you need to learn is, okay, how to write an exp arithmetic expression, right? How to call a function, this sort of stuff. Right. So yeah, so this is our approach to it. This is our understanding of code in, in, in the model. Uh, especially in the last couple of years, have you noticed more people coming from sort of non-traditional simulation backgrounds coming to simulation? I mean, for me, you know, for example, you know, I have two degrees in finance, but I've been pretty much doing simulation my entire career. Have you been seeing more of that shift to people coming from other areas into simulation? Uh uh, yes, we do. Uh, yes, we do, and we we do see that all the time. So, uh, large companies who were not really using simulation before start using uh, the simulation, and those companies who were using simulation kind of on a um, spot basis, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, are. Um, are buying like enterprise-wide licenses uh, to be able to uh, implement the company-wide uh, simulation platform for their businesses. And the uh, and well, it's it's very natural, of course, because the need for that is the the business complexity is growing. The need for optimization is growing. Uh, the data is is there, right? Uh, still, the data is, is complex. Still, there's, a, I would say, maybe you see that also, there's a little bit of disconnect with the data side and uh, dynamic, um, uh, dynamic modeling. There definitely can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it, it is definitely, it's, it's definitely happening. It's, it, it is already happening. So, uh, what I observed in maybe the last couple of years, uh, after kind of, kind of, oh, very slow growth. There is, which was what we kind of call it, slow organic growth. Um, there is a kind of, it's it's kind of gaining. It's uh, the uh, the demand is definitely going up for uh, for simulation solutions, right? So it's now our our uh, you know task is to uh, answer to uh, to make the adequate offering to to meet that demand, of course. Okay. Uh, so as, especially, you know, the last couple of years as processing power and computers have really kind of made some jumps forward, has there been anything that's been easier for, for any logic to develop, or maybe you've been wanting to develop, you know, maybe five or 10 years ago that you can finally start developing now? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, we did two things in the last, uh, let's say, three years. Uh, things number, thing number one, it's very um, traditional. I wouldn't, uh, but I still will mention it. We, uh, we released uh, our material handling library. It's the kind of uh, thing that you, you really must have. We did have some basic stuff for that, but now we're kind of, our, I mean, analogic modelists are fully equipped uh, to model factory floors, conveyors, uh, autonomous vehicles, um, like storage systems, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we did that. That's, I mean, everybody does that. I don't want to really spend your time in, you know, uh, describing, okay, we now have this conveyor object, et cetera. So, so it's there, it's, it's very traditional, and now that immediately opens, uh, opened up uh, additional traditional market for us. This is one thing, but there's other thing, which is a lot more, um, let's say, uh, new and exciting. And this is the uh, everything related to uh, simulation in the cloud. So, and this is something I, I wanted to talk talk during this mm -hmm. podcast as well. So, uh, I don't know. You maybe know that uh, in other types of, sim of dynamic simulation, let's say in engineering and scientific world, 
simulation in the cloud is it's not just happening it's it's virtually standard right so if if uh if you have a uh, simulation uh software of course you will leverage you know this cloud computing to do your complex calculation calculations so the business simulation worlds as always has been you know uh, inertious a little bit mm -hmm. behind <laughs> uh, but the good news is that uh, AnyLogic is offering a full cloud solution for the modelers. And I know you, you Jacob, talked to some other um, guests about what, is, what does the cloud mean in, in our world, right? What actually that, what is going to the cloud? And I would completely agree with you that you know uh, the process of actually developing the model coding editing it is not something that's worth moving to the cloud why would we right you know right you need a, a really great um, you know graphical editor with uh, you know a lot of tools and palettes you need really high fidelity um, you know space editing all, all this sort of stuff so that part of model development stays on a kind of good desktop or laptop. You need to have a good monitor, and there's you know we, we could move it to the to the browser, but what's the benefit for the user? I don't see. But everything else is moving up there to the cloud. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I think is is a great thing that we did, and we invested really a lot to that. We completely rewritten our front end. Our, our um, animation, 2D and 3D, and we completely moved it to HTML5 because HTML5 these days is ready, is 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 ready uh, to uh, support that simulation front end. So right now, when you even when you launch any logic model on your laptop. Uh, it'll basically run a browser, like a Chrome browser, for example, right. where things are, are, are shown to you, right? And that immediately opens up incredible opportunities. First, now it doesn't matter where the model actually runs, where the engine runs. It could run on this laptop, it could run on my colleague's laptop, and the next, I mean, uh, sitting next to me, or it can run in the in the server room here, or it could run in the cloud. It, it it's absolutely transparent for the user where the actual model is running, as long as you know full animation is delivered uh, to the user. So this is this is uh, uh, one thing we did. So it's moved from native code for animation to 100% standard, no, uh, no plugins, no installs required, a HTML, any browser, any modern browser supports that, which I think is great. And the other thing, of course, we implemented the, uh, the uh, AnyLogic Cloud, where we have, you know, you can, um, if you have like mm, CPU intensive simulations, especially multi-run ones like Monte Carlo or uh, variation or optimization, you can, you know, uh, upload it to the cloud and run it there. You can, what, what you can do as a modeler, uh, you can develop during a day, then when you finish, you just push a button, uh, goes, uh, uh, starts, executes in, in the cloud, you know, close your laptop, you go home. Uh, when you come back next day, the, the results are in the cloud, they're ready. So we have that. Uh, and uh, the other, you know, side effects is that uh, imagine you're a consultant, right? And you, mm -hmm. you need to deliver a model to your client, and your client doesn't have the software, right? Right. So with uh, with a cloud and with HTML front end, the delivery time is down to like ten seconds. So it's a matter of sending a link. To a uh, uh, to the model in the cloud, and the the, the uh, client will be able to run it in the browser or even in uh, in his tablet or phone. So it's already there. It's we're already offering this. 
other things is that you can, well, consultants can create their kind of live model portfolio, and they're already doing it with uh, with the analogic cloud. So, you want to hire me? Look, I I did this, this, and this, and you can run the models anytime, anywhere, right? And of course, uh, for advanced users, they can uh, they can put together their own HTML front ends with embedded um, any logic um, uh, uh, any logic models. So this um, I, I would say that cloud and cloud based simulation is the uh, the only really great and interesting thing happening in our world right now because. You know, otherwise, uh, you know, methodologically or philosophically, the last notable change was in like 2004 with the introduction of agent-based. Since then, there was not much happening on the uh, on that side, but on the kind of technology side, uh, th uh, this is definitely the cloud. I would uh, also mention one other vendor who. Uh, did I think some uh, some kind of cloud solution, which is Simulate? It's a, it's a British software. You might mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. I've, right. so I've seen their software. I've never professionally developed yeah. it, but I've played it's with it. A different class of software. It's kind of uh, it's a lot cheaper and it's a lot more limited in its capabilities. But I'm uh, what I wanted to say that they have their their own kind of um, push simulation to execute in the cloud solution. So you, you can do it. It's it's pretty basic compared to what AnyLogic has, but it but it's there. So uh, so other vendors are um, uh, are also uh, looking in, in in that direction. But we're very much in this in, in this sense ahead of everybody. Uh, so I know that in semi recently, Any Logistics has been launched. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, so is that. That is a supply chain simulation optimization tool, both, mm -hmm. uh, how does that work? Yeah, um, thanks for uh, mentioning Analogistics. So uh, this is our, um, our move in the supply chain um, optimization and simulation uh, uh, market. So essentially with Analogistics, you do two things. First, uh, you use LP solvers use uh, linear programming to uh, have uh, to find some solution for your supply chain, right? And then uh, when you kind of have that solution roughly there, you can say, now I want to simulate it. And this is when where you know uh, where any logic simulation comes into play. So any logistics user interface is very much kind of data driven. It's kind of, it's a lot of tables, GIS maps. Uh, it's, uh, uh, there's no coding, <laughs> no coding, literally no coding required there, uh, where you can define your supply chain uh, and you can uh, pre-optimize it with, um, with CPLEX solver and then uh, you can simulate and you can visualize and you can fine-tune your uh, your supply chain with the help of simulation. So it's it's a vertical, clearly it's a vertical product on the basis of, of any logic. Cool. So uh, you know, how or where do you see the industry going maybe in the next five or ten years? Um, you know, you've been you've been in the industry for about 20 years you know, or so, you know, developing software, where do you see, you know, I don't know, any logic 14 down the road, where, what do you see that as being able to do that maybe we're not doing now or industries that we're not really in yet that we could be going into as a simulation, you know, people, as simulation people. Right. Uh, well, first, uh, I would like to say that uh, the dynamic simulation technology we're, we're all um, into is and remains a complicated thing to, to do, right? Uh, because uh, apart, uh, it's never, you know, it's, it's never drag and drop. It's, it always requires some thinking and uh, 
I would say, in some sense, it's kind of more complicated than um, than just you know to write some software, just because we have this uh, you know notion of time and dynamics there, right? And I'm saying that just to um, kind of confirm that we should not expect a, a big you know uh, growth, like a radical growth of uh, users of simulation software packages, unless we have some, you know, incredible uh, paradigm change in terms of how you actually define um, your your dynamics, which I don't ex expect to happen. So it's all going very slowly. So, so which means that our, you know, you know, we uh, vendors are kind of um, staying with. Uh, organically growing community of people who have enough, you know, skills in there to to use the program. So we shouldn't we shouldn't expect that in like a couple of years there will be ten times more users than now. No, but uh, the demand is is for surely uh, is growing for sure. You know, we we now have people who are you know modeling. Mm, problems which uh, we thought that will, they will never, you know, uh, use simulation for. Like, for example, they optimize like um, car sharing. They're they're um, they go okay. How car sharing would affect, um, let's say, some uh, city infrastructure uh, if we do this and that. I mean, there's a whole lot of new. New businesses are are, are uh, looking for simulation um, solutions just because they see that the simulation is the only way to answer their problems. So I foresee big demand growth for simulations. So our you know our goal is again to to try to um, kind of simplify. Uh, the way for the for, for modelers to 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 to, um, to use softwares and to to model things. Now, um, so uh, yeah, I already said that on the language side, we we have a couple of projects. I mean, internal R and D projects on okay, how do you radically uh, um, simplify putting together uh, simulation models? Um, of course, so we we're, we're doing that. And uh, what I also foresee that simulations will be more and more used as kind of embedded pieces of uh, bigger analytical workflows. Oh, this this is really big. This this is really really big, and uh, this is kind of something new uh, because their um, simulation models are not used as kind of standalone solutions, but they're kind of built and embedded into kind of Mm, uh, even maybe daily or monthly use analytical workflows of big companies. So that is happening. That will that will definitely happen more and more. So that is definitely good news for uh, for vendors uh, because you know any logic models are now a part of very exciting you know solutions that are built within big companies. And uh, the end users of those solutions, they don't even know that simulation is in there, right? So, uh, but simulation is in there, it does, does its work, is connected to data. So that is, uh, that is happening too. Uh, technical, technologically, I would uh, confirm that, you know, moving to the cloud is, is a must. I mean, uh, if you're serious about, about the market, you have to have a cloud solution. Uh, you have to offer private cloud. By the way, this is, this is one uh, other important thing because mm -hmm. some companies are very sensitive about their data, where the data is stored, right? right? And they want to allow their data to go to even secures like uh, uh, Amazon or Microsoft or Google Cloud. So for those guys, we're offering a private cloud. It's the same thing where you can install on your private infrastructure. And it will behave exactly as as the analogic cloud. It will connect your uh, local analogic copies, so you can like upload to the private cloud, 
and and run uh, run the models there. So this is yeah, this is this is also interesting thing that that that's happening um, out there. Yes. Cool. So where do you you know like I say like where do you hope to be as a company in you know ten years? Is it something that like you know is there something maybe you know you you're hoping that technology gets there? Maybe it's VR. Maybe it's like you know, even faster computing, you know, cause I know a lot of people are really worried about speed, you know, big models. Is it something is so, are there certain things you're hoping to get to in the future that you may not be able to realize right now? Right. Well, uh, I, mm, with the, obviously with the cloud, we solve a lot of problems with, you know, kind of, if you really have a mm, CPU time demanding model, you can just push it, up there, and it's uh, and it saves you a lot of you know time, or it saves your programmers time. So, so we're kind of um, already mm, we wanted to to do it. We did it. Uh, it's out there. What we uh, want to achieve is uh, obviously as 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 anybody, uh, we want pretty much. A large companies use AnyLogic as a kind of uh, the simulation platform for the entire business lifecycle. Just because of this versatile nature of AnyLogic and its ability to uh, to solve various kinds of problems, so we want companies uh, like okay, uh, not just use it for manufacturing, not just use it for maybe I don't know finance, but to uh, to use it enterprise wide. And obviously, we want hundred um, percent of the market. So, <laughs> yeah, and uh, we're pretty close, I would say, because it took. Although it took us like twelve years to become number one and most used simulation software, where the uh, we're absolute leaders right now with the biggest market share, and we're continuing to to improving the tool to improve. Uh, 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 to offer new technologies where uh, we will try to always be like the most innovative uh, company in this business simulation world. So, uh, and uh, I think we're pretty much successful in, in, in that direction. Cool. So uh, as we kind of start to wrap up here, what are some, like say, Say we've got, you know, I know we do have a lot of students listening who are like maybe looking at simulation. What are some, what would, what would be some advice you would give the students, you know, things to learn, things to read, you know, places to go with your career, maybe, maybe things they haven't thought of yet. Yeah. Uh, okay. The book advice. You want a book advice? So, uh, I, I think the, that's, um, the only book on simulation which I can I can say it's great book on simulation is the book called uh, with the title Business Dynamics by Jern Sturman. Have you have you ever you've probably heard of it, right? I've heard of it. I know I've read some of it in the past. I yeah. don't know if I actually finished. So it. The guy Jern Sturman is uh, MIT Sloan School professor, mm -hmm. and he's uh, you know. Uh, a part of that, let's say, system dynamics um, sect, right? right. Uh, the doctor of system dynamics. But nevertheless, and, and maybe because of that, the book is really about what what modeling is about. What are the challenges of modeling? What is kind of what, what what is abstraction level? What the user, uh, sorry, what the modeler should think about when uh, when he or she do, develops models. So it's it's really great book. It's it does not focus on mm, let's say some particular methodology, or it's not focusing on, on things that surround simulation, like for example the Everlaw uh, book, uh, which is you know has you know tenth or twentieth edition, but it's not really about sim modeling itself. So if you guys uh, want a great book on modeling, uh, what is the model? I mean, what, what are the, uh, the risks there? Uh, what you should you know, keep in mind when you, when you do modeling, the business dynamics is the, the greatest, really, really the greatest book. Um, 
other than that, um, well, of course, we, we have a, a big, big book of any logic, which we're now rewriting to keep um, uh, up with the software. Um, well, I would uh, uh, recommend, uh, okay, obviously LinkedIn groups are pretty good and like any logic LinkedIn group, there is a lot of knowledge in there and there are people who, are answer, who would answer questions. It's a kind of community answering and giving advices to everybody. Also, it's probably good for, uh, you know, look, uh, looking for, for a job. Uh, obviously, I would recommend to, if you really, you know, think of yourself as a good modeler, you can upload, and you're looking for, again, if you're looking for a job, you can upload some models onto any logic cloud and, and uh, you know, <coughs> reference it in your, like, maybe resume when, uh, when you're talking to your potential employer. Um, some other devices, um, mm, uh, yeah, okay, just one thing maybe. Um, when I worked, when I, I spent a couple months in um, GE Research Center in, um, in uh, near, near Albany in, in New York State, it's called up New York, there was one great guy, like a senior modeler there, he had a kind of, as uh, a sticky note, uh, kind of constantly um, on his um, uh, in his cube, with just one word: simplify. Right. So that's just remember uh, that you know, do some simple things first. Don't try to model everything. Right. Uh, always remember this Occam razor principle. If you don't really, if you're not sure you need something in your model, just don't, don't include it. Just leave it out. You know, only, you know, add things to your model as you think they're really necessary. And yeah, but this is kind of, you know, everybody knows it, but every, uh, you know, from time to time you're tempted with the, uh, <laughs> you know, with, uh, I can model everything, I, but it's, yeah, that's not, not, not the right right way of doing this. Yeah. All right. Uh, finally, is there, you know, maybe something I didn't hit that you wanted to get to? Or uh, if not, you know, thanks for coming. But if there's, you know, if there's something I missed that you really want to hit, uh, please. Uh, I think, hit. yeah. I have a, um, <laughs> some interesting, uh, I, I just put, some, put together some notes. Uh, it's uh, kind of, a history of how the physical space is treated in simulation models. So I will, I will go through it, and then uh, Jacob, it's up to you whether to include it in the kind of final version of this podcast. Um, it will be. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, up to you, really. Uh, so um, traditionally, I mean, I'm uh, starting with like two, early 2000. The physical space in a simulation model was thought of like a factory floor, right? Or right warehouse floor so or at most kind of the the, uh, the factory site maybe so some pre you know um, compact facility where initially you know there were like some predefined paths and locations but then um, vendors kind of started looking more like uh, okay how do you I'm two vendors how do you model like movement of free space uh, and it's interesting that when you go uh, just a little bit to, uh, to a little bit larger scale problem, like a, uh, a rail yard, for example, the notion of space changes. Uh, for example, the rail yards are pretty, uh, many of them, the data comes not as a CAD drawing, but as a shapefile. And if you have a shapefile, you need a GIS map with like uh, longitudes and latitudes. And then uh, if you go, you know, to even bigger scale, like the uh, supply chain and transportation, uh, then uh, you need a true GIS map with like various zoom levels with ability to like, you know, dynamically search uh, for locations, search for routes, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, use those routes dynamically uh, and then adjust your animation to zoom levels. So, uh, etc. So the mm, that I think is really important in in kind of modern simulation tools that you don't you know stick to like your factory floors, and you have really need to have different representations of space. 
And uh, well, what, what we did in AnyLogic, we were the, the obviously the only tool that really includes the fully functional GIS maps to the simulation where it can be linked to your model logic very, very, very tightly. So that was, uh, that was kind of uh, my kind of missed, missed uh, note that we didn't, didn't go through. But again, you can, you can cut it from the final version if you want. Well, uh, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I'm sure you're a very busy person, so I really appreciate it. Uh, for all the listeners out there, um, you can check out the other podcasts at brokenjars.xyz. Uh, this is a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, and uh, thanks for listening. Well, uh, Jacob, thanks for inviting me. Uh, thanks for spending this very early morning uh, with us, and I uh, wish you have a great day. Thank you. Thanks.